The Guardian. Attacked by a spectator, he did react and he's been pulled back by Gary Parker's assistant. The police and stewards people have well, this individual are not football fans, they have no place in football, they are cowardly terrorist thugs, and the police have made that clear as well. Two bombs were intercepted by the Royal Mail in Saltcoats and Kirkintilloch. They were addressed to Neil Lennon. A third was delivered to Trish Godman's constituency office in Bridge of Weir. Well, they're simply appalling. I mean, it is completely unacceptable, and I hope that the Strathclyde police will do everything in their power to find the perpetrator. This sort of appalling, violent sectarianism should have no place in any part of our country. We as a club this season have nothing to reproach ourselves for. The, the board, the supporters, the players, They've dealt with a lot of issues with great dignity. I think a lot of other people in the game here need to have a good look at themselves in the mirror. Last week, Celtic's Catholic manager Neil Lennon was attacked by a spectator during a match against Hearts, the latest in a series of sectarian-related incidents against high-profile Catholics in Scotland. A powerful wake-up to the Scottish authorities. But just how much of a problem is sectarianism? and what needs to happen to eradicate it. I'm Hugh Muir, and this week's Guardian Focus podcast explores the reasons for the apparent upsurge in religious hatred in Scotland. How much deeper than the matches between Celtic and Rangers does this go? Sectarian behaviour displayed at football matches or anywhere else in society, we have a zero-tolerance approach. It's going to be eradicated from football, so people taking part in that will be subject to the force of the law. First Minister of Scotland Alex Salmon explaining that sectarianism will not be tolerated. And joining me to discuss these issues is Bob Dorris, Member of the Scottish Parliament for Glasgow, Peter Kearney, the head of the Scottish Catholic Media Office and spokesman for Cardinal Keith O'Brien, and Tom Gallagher, Professor of the Study of Ethnic Conflict and Peace in the Department of Peace Studies at Bradford University. Welcome to you all. Let's start in the present day and then look at some history. This week, the BBC in Scotland ran an investigation. They called it Bigotry, Bombs and Football. Absolutely extraordinary scenes. Bob Doris, can you explain why Celtic's manager, Neil Lennon, is targeted? And why now? Well, I can explain to a level because there's no excuses for why Neil Lennon has been targeted. It's completely unjustified, but... I think there's been a critical mass of uh, bigotry and bias against Neil. I think the fact that he is an Irish Catholic from Northern Ireland managing Celtic uh, has brought a critical mass of prejudices, not just sectarian prejudices, but also anti-Irish racism. And the perfect storm has been created, unjustifiably so, and Neil Lennon has had it in the neck because of that. But of course, from outside, people are looking at it and they're just saying, but he's just a football manager. Absolutely. He is just a football manager. It's completely unjustifiable. uh, And this is why we have to confront uh, what lands the boil and confront the open prejudices that still exist uh, to a degree in Scottish society. Tom Gallagher, um, both Celtic and Rangers are, of course, ingrained in the politics of Northern Ireland. Can you see this ever a time when this will ever stop? Um, I think Neil Lennon made a, a, a very apt remark recently. He, he thought it would be very difficult to eradicate sectarianism. It's going to, I think, involve a lot of patient long-term work by politicians. I mean, I hope no one is thinking of quick fixes and that everything will be uh, you know, ended within a season or two. It will involve a great deal of commitment from 
politicians. I would certainly agree with Bob Doris. I mean, I think the ethnic dimension is now more important than the religious dimension. Neil Lennon's problem is that he, uh, to a lot of people, he's too assertive, too proud. Um, he undermines the status of those who see their tribal cause as a superior one. And I think that was part of the problem for the others who received those uh, bombs uh, back in March. Peter Kearney, the, the lawyer Paul McBride was one of those centre parcel bomb, and, and he blamed to some extent politicians saying that they, not enough has been done. I think the former First Minister Jack McConnell um, was making that point too. He felt that things had been allowed to slide. Is, is that right, do you think? I'm not sure that is, to be honest, a, a, a valid uh, criticism. I mean, the reference was to the fact that uh, in the previous a previous parliamentary term, the one before the last, new legislation, new anti-sectarianism legislation was introduced in Scotland. We created a, an act uh, called the Aggravated Sectarianism Offence in 2003. That's useful. That, that was a positive development because what that did was, for the first time, it allowed us to move away from anecdotal representations of this problem into actually analysing empirical evidence. We had conviction numbers. Now, unfortunately, the introduction of that offence wasn't followed through with the full publication of data from the Crown Office. They did do two studies looking at its impact and its effect. We in the Catholic Church have been pushing for an annual breakdown because if we don't get the nuts and bolts of not just how many people are subject to these sort of attacks, but what's their identity, what's the motivation behind the perpetrator, etc., etc., then we really are acting with one hand tied behind our back. So yes, from a political perspective, we definitely uh, do need more detail. But from the detail we've had so far, it's pretty clear that at the bedrock here is anti-Catholic intolerance. Uh, Bob Doris, is that right? Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I, I, would, I would add on that extra dimension there is anti-Catholic intolerance. And for some people, I'm not even sure they understand why they're being intolerant towards Catholics, but there's been an overlapping of religion, culture and identity. And I think the famine song, for example, is not specific to an anti-Catholic intolerance. I think it's an anti-Irish racism which we have to confront within society. And I've seen this firsthand myself. There are many uh, Scots-born people in Scotland of Irish descent, second, third, fourth generation, who are equally proud of their Scottishness and Irishness. They shouldn't have to choose their ethnicity one over the other. If you were a Bangladeshi or Indian or Pakistani, you wouldn't be told to choose. But there's a feeling in Scottish society that if you hail from Ireland originally and you are in Scotland, you can't have multi-layered identities. And I think a lot of the sectarianism and racism against people like Neil Lennon is that conflict. And I think that's something we have to tackle head on. Tom Gallagher, if you've got racism and religious bigotry um, all together, that almost is a perfect storm, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in Scotland, unfortunately, there are still too many people who are not comfortable with the other. I mean, there there is an emphasis on kind of conformity, on, you know, a single uh, identity. And people thought that with peace in Ireland and even with the, the retreat of Christianity, that, you know, this would prove to be an anachronism that's disappeared. But I, I, th- I think the dynamic uh, behind it is, is very strong and, and, and really a lot of it is to do with the fact that for so many people in Scotland, nothing is really happening in their lives. A lot of people are underperforming, broken marriages, life without work, neighbourhoods disfigured by serious crime and um, you know, football with a sectarian, with an ethnic edge is a perfect outlet for people to come together 
and express their frustrations, often in a, in a very horrible way. I think the uh, what happened with Neil Lennon and, and the parcel bombs sent to others really shocked people around the world because they don't really understand what's going on. Um, Professor Gallagher, give us a, a short history lesson. I mean, what are the historical reasons for these issues between Protestants and Catholics in Scotland? Well, I, I, I think the, the the cause of the friction has, has varied over the generations. I mean, there was bound to be uh, a lot of uproar when lots of uh, people, Irish immigrants whose religion was their Catholicism was their main badge of identity, suddenly turned up in very large numbers during and after the famine in the 1840s, in what was an emphatically Protestant country, which had, you know, seen a, a, you know a popular revolution to install Protestantism. This was a Victorian era. Religion was the main sort of badge of identity, and it is amazing, actually, that uh, there were no. The, the, the manifestations of hostility were relatively uh, small scale and it acquired an economic um, edge when the Irish question was at the forefront of British politics. I mean, I, I think that gave it an, an, uh, an intensity. But when things quietened down after 1945, which had been a period of unity uh, in, the, in this country, it still had this shadow uh, subterranean um, life and, you know, has come to the fore in a very sort of vivid and scary way, uh, you know, when there, there are no external factors, you know, promoting it, it just seems to have a dynamic now of its own. Because it's worth saying that uh, the migration itself consisted both of Northern Irish Catholics and Protestants. Mm. Hugh, I was going to make a point on that one, sorry to put in here, just to say, insofar as football is concerned, I would agree completely that what football does today is it simply provides an outlet, it's a stage on which ancient animosities can be acted out, I don't, I don't think it's the cause per se. Insofar as the historic analysis is concerned, you're absolutely right, there was a you know, 70, 30 or 20, 80 split between um, Irish people coming to Scotland. A couple of points I think are worth bearing in mind, however, at the time this happened, um, Ireland was a whole incorporated part of the British Union. This was, in one regard, uh, an internal displacement rather than an external migration. They did come, as, as you've just heard, to a country which by that time was um, primarily or, or largely Protestant. I, I'm not so sure I would agree with the idea of a, of a popular revolution to install Protestantism if we, if we go back 450 years to the history of the Protestant Reformation. I, I would certainly argue, as would others, that um, the change in Scottish society from a Catholic society, a Protestant one, was much more of a top-down rather than a bottom-up effect. But, but that's a, a separate issue. The point really would be, though, that we have had anti-Catholic intolerance for at least 450 years. In other words, we've had it for a good few centuries before Celtic or Rangers even existed. And so it's difficult to suggest that they're somehow you know, um, complicit in its creation when, when they didn't exist. Chicken and egg, and it's hard to know which of them fuels the other, whether it's the football that fuels the, the bigotry or the bigotry that fuels yeah, the football. Yeah, well, I, I think one of the overwhelming factors, which which is definitely true, was there was no doubt at all that, that between the period of about the, the, the mid-1840s, right up probably to the 1940s, that there was a keenly felt uh, fear uh, among many in Scotland, many, many Protestants in Scotland, that the... Scottish identity was being diluted, was being changed, was being threatened. Um, and in that regard, that, that analysis is correct. I mean, we had, up until the late 1930s, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland passing 
resolutions at its annual meeting calling for the repatriation of the Irish on the grounds that they were, quote, diluting Scotland's ethnic identity. And the government did consider that at one point, didn't it? Well, that's right, yes. So, so that was a very, very keenly felt... But, you know, in some senses, had the migration been uh, from Lithuania or Poland or Italy, you know, it, it would probably have created similar tensions. That That's what happens when large numbers of people come to a different society. Of course... That is a history lesson. It happened so long ago, and I suppose what people would be uh, surprised about is, is why would it reach this level of severity now, and why ha- why hasn't the evolution been a more positive one? Um, maybe you'd like to deal with that, uh, Peter Kearney. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a combination of reasons. Paradoxically, I, I think uh, the Pope's visit to Scotland last year, <clears throat> although it was it was widely welcomed, and, and I think by consensus it was seen as a as a successful and, and positive event in our national life, in some senses did spark off some uh, animosities. I mean, for example. In the run-up to the visit, just a week before the visit, Cardinal O'Brien was sent a live bullet and a death threat uh, against the Pope. And uh, there were a number of other incidents. Some did get media coverage, some didn't, of people who were very, very much against the visit and wanted to make that known. And in a way, I feel that perhaps acted as a a sort of a crystallising event. No question, the overwhelming majority were happy with it. But for a few who were were really unhappy and still harboured deep-seated anti-Catholic animosity, I suppose for them it might have been just too much and, and it was enough to spark off reactions. Of course, we know that both Rangers and Celtic fans are being prosecuted for alleged bigotry and racist offences on the internet, and we'll get onto the internet in a minute. Um, And earlier this week, it emerged that former Rangers director and prominent lawyer Donald Findlay QC was sent a knife in the post. Does this go both ways? Um, I'm struck by the fact that uh, Rangers have banned 548 fans for sectarian chanting or sectarian offences, you might call it, in seven seasons. Celtic, just six. Now, is that because the the weight of the the abuse, if you like... is more on one side than the other. Bob Doris? Well, I think we have to be very careful when we deal with this issue. If there are sectarian singing at Parkhead or sectarian offences, it should, and I'm sure it is dealt with systematically, and the same should happen at Ibrox. I will let the evidence speak for itself in relation to which club has more significant problems. It's not actually a contest. It doesn't matter if you've got one person or 20,000 people singing certain songs, doing certain behaviours. I would rather not get dragged into that. But I'm happy to look at the idea of consistent policing and stewarding. I would want to be led by the evidence rather than getting into a, a debate about which club is better at dealing with uh, the issues and the problems. I, I think Neil Lennon was very quick to criticise uh, in recent weeks the pro-IRA chants from a tiny minority of the Celtic support. So I think both clubs can and do show leadership when there's a real focus here. And, you know, this solution can't be politician-led. Yes, we have to show leadership, but this is a societal problem and politicians play their parts. High-profile individuals such as Neil Lennon speaking out like that is to be welcome, and that's also part of the solution. I think, I think. Sorry to interrupt on that no, one. I think, I think uh, Bob Doris is is absolutely right to say that. We, it's important that we do 
allow our arguments to be led by the evidence which we have. And it's also important that you know we stick to uh, accurate definitions and, and meaningful terminology. But much of what's being talked about here is sectarianism, and people are being, as, as you've suggested, uh, banned or, or even charged with sectarian offences. Now, sectarian has a sectarian behaviour has a specific meaning, and, and in particular, if you're banning someone or you're charging them with an offence, you need to make sure that your meanings are, are utterly watertight and can stand up in court. Now, there's a wider issue, and that is offensive behaviour, which uh, some football fans indulge in. Frankly, that's a given when it comes to football. You could argue, in fact, that the, the, the whole raison d'etre of having fans is that they're there to offend the fans of their opponents, and they do that in all sorts of ways. Sometimes they do it in ways that are sexist or racist or sectarian. But if you're going to target that sort of behaviour, you really do need to be specific. And when we're talking about sectarian behaviour, then you know the, the evidence does suggest that, that there isn't a, a balance here. And similarly, when we look at the breakdown of the 2003 uh, Act that we spoke about earlier, we've seen from the Crown Office analysis, which they've published in the uh, in the last three or four years, that, that there is quite a disparity in who suffers most. For example, if you're a Catholic in Scotland, you're six times more likely to suffer a sectarian attack than anyone else. Of course, before you can deal with the problem, you have to agree that there is a problem. And it was interesting um, doing some of the research. And uh, it was an article by the, uh, Steve Bruce from Aberdeen University um, who said the, the, the sectarianism of Scotland is a myth, popular in some places, but a myth nonetheless. Now, there were a lot of people who took issue with that. But a lot of people also said, well, yeah, I mean, we have a few problems, but people exaggerate them. It's very difficult to get a handle on this if, if, if there are many people just refuse to agree that there's a problem. That's right, Peter Ken, isn't it? Yes, it is. That is right. You're absolutely right. Unfortunately, though, the, the consensus, I'm afraid, is that we do have a problem. And, you know, the Crown Office statistics, uh, there were updated numbers published yesterday showing that last year there were 700 people charged with religious hate crimes in Scotland. Now, when you've got 700 people being charged, I think it's reasonable to say you've got a problem. The problem with some of the analysis that's come from Steve Bruce in the past is he tends to look at these issues through uh, a Belfast lens, having spent so much time there in the past. He said, for example, that the problem of religious intolerance in Scotland is only a shadow of what it was in Ulster. That, that may or may not be true, but we have to look at it in our own terms and say it's not really about whether it's better or worse than religious intolerance in other countries. It's intolerance, and we would really like to move towards eradicating it. Of course, it's a shame he's not here to defend himself. We did actually ask him on, but he, he wasn't able to do it. But you mentioned Belfast there, and of course, um, there's always an issue there with the, the, the Orange and Loyalist flute band. I think they're banned um, in Northern Ireland, but not um, in in Scotland, Professor Gallagher, is uh, do they contribute to the problem there? Well, um, I think the Orange Order actually had a stabilising uh, role during the 30 years of conflict in uh, Northern Ireland. I mean, it, 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 it managed to keep hotheads in check who were all set to import uh, the violent aspects of, of the conflict, as various court cases showed in the 70s and the 1980s. And I think police and special branch uh, officers who who were involved in trying to prevent the fallout descending in Scotland at, at, during those years, you know, would give the Orange Order uh, some some credit. I mean, I think the Orange Order's defence is that you know it it cannot prevent the sort of the scum, the you know the the bigots, the hotheads, drunken people in the main latching themselves on uh, to its uh, uh, to its parades. I mean, the or I think. The, you know, I think those parades do cause uh, a lot of uh, discomfort and even distress 
uh, to people uh, because you know they they just are so uh, frequent and conspicuous. But I think the Orange Order has is a large scale organisation still, uh, and I think it has to be brought in to try you know to, to try and be part of the uh, the the solution to sectarianism to ethnic type of uh, antagonism rather than marginalised because I think then you create the the risk that the problem will go underground. Uh, and uh, the police and the authorities will be less effective in tracking it. Bob Doris, of course, if you're on a football, uh, if you're on terracing and someone says something that uh, amounts to religious bigotry, then perhaps they can be arrested. The internet, though, is a different issue, isn't it? And it makes the, a lot of the problem seems to be over the internet, and it's just so notoriously hard to police. Well, it is hard to police what happens on the, the internet. That is why the Scottish Government has said they are going to consult on the possibility of new legislation to beef up the powers that, that we have. We're in no doubt that uh, it will be challenging, but because something's challenging doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. But I would like to widen out to look at the idea of intolerance in general, whether it's on the internet or whether it's on the terraces of... Uh, of, at football games, because right across the West Central Scotland and beyond, when there are football matches on, the football match can pass off without incident and there can be no singing on the terraces, but why should, say, myself as a Catholic in Glasgow have to listen to a couple of hundred Rangers supporters singing that they're up to their knees in Fenian blood on the way to a game or on the way back from the game? Uh, whether they mean these words or not, it makes me feel un- uncomfortable as an individual, as a human being, and uh, perhaps we need consistent policing to tackle intolerance, not just at football games, not just on the internet, but at every facet of society. And we need a systematic approach, because if we don't have a systematic approach, and that includes the internet, then we'll be accused of being inconsistent, and as soon as you're inconsistent, then we divide and rule the momentum behind a solution to this problem. So I would say yes the internet, yes at football games, but there are many other facets of society where we have to be consistent with our approach to tackling racism and sectarianism. Of course, the thing about uh, problems at, at football matches and, and yeah, some of them spill over into disorder, and that's really obvious, but I'm also interested in things that happen a bit more below the surface. Um, Peter, tell me about the employment. Uh, there was occupational pay parity achieved, but that was just in 2001, which seems unbelievably late. Um, has that worked? Or what, what impact has that had? There is certainly a, a huge shift, particularly in the last generation, insofar as occupational discrimination is concerned. I, I would have to uh, agree that for the most part it, uh, it has pretty much been eradicated from the scene in Scotland. Professor Tom Devine talks about a shift from uh, occupational discrimination to attitudinal discrimination, which is altogether harder to detect and consequently harder to eradicate. Just as bad if you're on the other end. Well, correct. But he, he does uh, speak about the, the huge difference in outcomes between people from Ireland who came to Scotland compared with their compatriots who went to America. And in that period from the uh, 1840s through to the end of that century, uh, he discovered that uh, certainly in employment, occupational parity was achieved for um, Irish migrants to America around about uh, 1901, and in Scotland it was 2001, a 100-year 
difference there. It's extraordinary, but, isn't it? Uh, Ultimately, it's this issue of, of the of the attitudinal, which is which is so so difficult to shift. And and I would just say on, on uh, Bob's point there about um, policing, that that's very important. It's symbolically important. There are some mixed messages, unfortunately, in in the last few months have come out uh, from from the police on this, which which have I think been confusing and, and haven't really helped. For for example, in relation to the high profile football matches, uh, back in March, the police line was that yes, huge numbers of fans might behave badly but quote we can't arrest our way out of this problem yet uh, last month when on Easter Sunday there was a Celtic Rangers game the police line was we have arrest squads ready to go in and react and I do think we need consistency here and and that is really all that's being asked for. The Deputy First Minister Nicola Sturgeon said this week that I think it was £1.7 million has been spent on groups that in whole or in part challenge sectarianism. Uh, Tom Gallagher has that been money well spent? Well, I think there's going to have to be a sort of long-term uh, effort. And we have to face the fact that, I mean, politicians are not going to get many votes out of grappling, uh, you know, with, with, with this issue because, you know, there are sort of uh, entrenched uh, uh, positions. Um, and I think there has to be sort of realistic and constructive pressure on politicians to take sort of wise and effective decisions, particularly working with the fans, working uh, perhaps with the media as well, because I th- I, we never really look at uh, uh, the media. I mean, I, I don't think the media's long-term role in uh, investigating this issue and exp- disclosing some of the uh, dark sides of sectarianism has been, has been very impressive. I mean, the uh, the journalist who's actually broken a lot of the, the, the stories in recent months is actually a foreign-based uh, investigative blogger, who, uh, Phil Miguela Buen, who, as far as I know, has not been interviewed uh, at all on, on the BBC as these stories about tension uh, ha- has, uh, ha- has broken. So I think there has to be engagement with the media not to glamorise some of the ugly sides of the uh, old firm confrontation in order to boost revenue and circulation. I think there has to be responsibility and consistency, which there hasn't been uh, from the media uh, so far. And I think politicians should work uh, with uh, owners uh, and journalists to that end. Can I just quickly move on to schools? Because Peter Kearney, uh, I know this is something that you're, you take a great interest in. There are about 130,000 young people, just over 20% of the school population that are taught in uh, Catholic schools across Scotland. There are some people who say that that's actually part of the problem. Um, in particular, the National Secular Society talked about those schools having a, uh, or, 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 or proponents of those schools having a, a bunker mentality and said they must integrate. Um, do you think that the fact that uh, there are so many Catholic schools, that that's such an important part of the system there, is part of the problem? Well, no, I don't, obviously. And uh, frankly, I'm not too surprised that the National Secular Society think that it is a problem. Having said that, I I don't see any reason why uh, secularists, secular humanists, um, shouldn't have their children educated in accordance with their secular humanist beliefs either. I'd have no problem with that. Uh, Frankly, I would think our uh, education system in any country, in any democratic country should reflect the multiplicity or the plurality of beliefs that exist in that society so if you look across England and Wales for example you will find Anglican schools Baptist schools Jewish schools Muslim schools in other words 
the faiths represented in that society are also represented in the education sector. In Scotland, we've got a bit of a strange hybrid. We don't have that multiplicity. I think it's to our, our disadvantage. But look, the, the truth of the, the matter is, when you when you analyse the evidence in any detail, you can see that Catholic schools, far from being part of the problem, I would argue, are actually part of the solution in that they do try to promote tolerance. You mentioned the figure of 20% being the number of Scottish children educated in Catholic schools. It's important to remember Catholics only comprise about 16% of the population. So significant numbers of pupils in Catholic schools in Scotland are not themselves Catholics. And that's important. We, we, we see that as a, as a strength of our schools, as, as a mark of their um, openness and uh, diversity. It's also important to remember that most Catholics, I think the figures are around 95% in Scotland, go to Catholic schools. But it's also true that over half of Scottish Catholics go on to marry non-Catholics. So there is, really is no evidence at all to suggest that being schooled uh, in accordance with your faith in any way leads to lifetime division or animosity. Bob Doris, do you, do you accept that? Do you, do you, uh, is that? Would that be your view too? Yeah, I completely accept that. Uh, I would like to be clear about this. There are arguments for ending denominational schooling. I don't accept those arguments, but there are genuine arguments for it. One argument you cannot use is to say denominational schooling breeds sectarianism. That's completely spurious and it's a complete farce. It shows a lack of understanding of the issue in the system to say that. In a tolerant, well-balanced society, we should have a multiplicity of faith-based schools if people so desire. And that, that is a real rich society that we would have. Faith-based schools do not promote sectarianism, they promote tolerance and they promote integration. Yes, there are arguments against denominational schools, but ending sectarianism is not one of them and people should be very wary of those that would use that argument. Well, we're quickly uh, running out of the time we have, but um, Professor Gallagher, with independence for Scotland being talked about in the light of the SNP's victory in the elections for the Scottish Parliament, what does this tell us about Scottish nationalism? I mean, I think it will take a remarkable set of politicians to change the face of Scotland. You know, if Scotland becomes separate, uh, you know, becomes uh, self-governing, I, mean, I think the likelihood is that these sort of societal problems uh, will uh, will carry on. And uh, you know, we 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 have in the discussion shown that you know that there is prejudice towards people of Irish descent for a range of reasons. There is also prejudice. Um, towards people of English descent, which appears uh, on the internet in the sort of readers' columns of newspapers uh, day in, uh, day out. I mean, if there is a, a movement, and I think the Labour Party to a certain extent did unite people of sort of orange and Irish Catholic stroke nationalist positions, I mean, if, if the Scottish National Party can do that in a constructive way, not just in a kind of symbolic way, and make a difference to this problem so that we're not eventually still talking about it in 10 or 15 years' time, then that will be a great achievement. And, you know, I, I hope they roll up their sleeves and focus on that. It won't be easy. Very quickly, Bob Doris, will we be talking about this still in 10, 15 years' time? Well, I hope in 10 to 15 years' time we'll be talking about the progress that's been made. But the key thing, and the motion I put down to Parliament, the Scottish Parliament on this issue, is after the latest set of headlines have faded, we have to continue quietly and get on with the work year in, year out. These things don't change overnight. And it's about consistency of approach long-term and not just tabloid media headlines. If we can do that, then there's something great about Scottishness, which is diverse, it's tolerant, and it's positive, and it's outward-looking. In 10 to 15 years' time, I hope we're talking about this within a, within 
and the concept of an independent Scotland. Well, thank, thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, let me uh, thank you all for your contribution, Bob Doris, Peter Kearney and Professor Tom Gallagher. Um, of course, this is a big ask trying to change thoughts uh, and prejudices that go back over four centuries, um, but it's certainly made for an illuminating discussion. Thank you all. Um, I'm Hugh Muir. The producer of this Guardian Focus podcast was Peter Sale. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.